I'm Toby Haydock. Yes, I'm sorry about that, but Matthew Sweet simply wasn't available. Okay, well, I've just had a donut. Which is very nice. The hospitality I'm getting on my trips around the country to talk to people about Doctor Who is marvellous. And I'm in a lovely house with two people who've been in Doctor Who, so I'm going to ask them who they are and why I'm talking to them about Doctor Who. Right, my name is Tara Ward. I played Preston in four episodes of Warrior of the Deep. Uh, my name is Ray Lonnan. Uh, I did, I think, three or four or five episodes of Oh God, what was it, Toby? It was Frontier in Space. Frontier in Space. Sorry, but apologies, it's a long time ago. With John Pertwee and Katie Manning. Um, <clears throat> my memories are pretty uh, hazy of, 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 of that time, but I had a look on at the episode the other day, the episodes, and I was just a sort of a cipher, really. I didn't have a great deal to do, but it was, it was a great pleasure to work with them, and they were very polite and kind and funny. So it was a nice, a nice time. Yes, because when I first saw Frontier in Space, I obviously knew you from um, Harry's Game and Sam Baggers and all of those things. I thought, oh gosh, is that Ray London in not so? Where was your career at when you when you got the Doctor Who? I'd um, done a bit of telly. I, I did a forerunner to EastEnders actually, which no one knows about. <coughs> called, excuse me, called Honey Lane. It started off as Market in Honey Lane, and it was like the pioneer for for EastEnders. And we did it in exactly the same location up at uh, Boreham Wood and we did four series of 13 episodes each over a period of two years and in black and white not silent but black and white <laughs> and um, it was it went out in the afternoon and early evening I think it was quite popular John Bennett was in John it John Bennett the late John Bennett yeah I think I'm the fellow that played my brother and I are the only survivors of that of that show the cast of about 10 or 12 and um we got on with that for, uh, as I say, two years. But when I go up for EastEnders and I mention that, the eyes just glaze over and no one really wants to know about it. They just move on, and, uh, which is a hell of a shame, I mean, because, you know, if I'd been a producer or a director, I'd say, oh, what happened? Where, where were you? Yeah. But the um, subject matter was exactly the same, a street market, and I was talking on air, and my brother was talking on air, and all, you know. So uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a nice nice job to do. But, but previous to that, I'd done a bit of at ATV. I'd done... Um, Played Kathleen Harrison's son in uh, Mrs. Thursday. You probably don't remember that one. I did a bit in Power Game, which was a very, oh, marvelous show. Very popular uh, series up there, yeah. And um, a love story. There was a series called Love Story. I did one of those. So I did bits and pieces up there before Honey Lane came along at ATV, and then it sort of snowballed from there, really. And Tara, you uh, you did Doctor about it was nearly ten, just over ten years after after Ray, um, and you played a part that had been written. I don't know if you know this for a man, uh, but Pennant Roberts had a habit of casting women in roles written for men because he didn't think there were enough women on television. I never knew that, Toby. That's amazing. Wow. You've actually told me something I didn't know about a part I played. However many years ago it was now. Wow, I've never been told that before. You and Ingrid Pitt both. And Ingrid as well. Yeah. Wow, how fantastic. It's it, supposed to be two fellows, were you? Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant, though? I, I loved Pennant. He was fantastic. I have very, very happy memories of working with him. And um, 
It's interesting, though, he obviously didn't feel any need to broadcast that or to make a big thing of it because all the time we were rehearsing together he never said anything about it and I, that's one of the things I loved about Pennant he was a very self-effacing man so he didn't obviously feel the need to say you're only here because I changed it to a woman's role that's why you got the part how lovely how lovely to know that and had you worked with him before no never no never and it was um it was just a, a pleasure from from start to finish it was an it was an absolute pleasure um in fact can I tell you a little story I've not said before Do. about how I actually was helped to get the part? An exclusive here, <laughs> listeners. Oh. I've never told this story before, but I think quite a few years have passed, so it's all right to say so. I um, heard about the casting that was coming up, and it transpired that my closest girlfriend at the time was very good friends with Pennant Roberts, PA. And she knew I was going for the role, and when it came to my turn to do the casting, she had said, would you like a drink of tea or coffee? And I said, yes. And she went off and took t so long to get the tea or coffee that I had a much longer time in the interview with Pennant than many of the other people had. Oh, well, there's a good tip. There's a good tip for how to get a bag apart. And I'm, I, yes, I just remember being so grateful to her. Pennant was, seemed to be enjoying himself enormously, discussing the part with me, talking it through anyway. But I am quite convinced that I had longer in that audition room as a result of, of PA going off to, to get some tea or coffee and deliberately taking a long time. So fabulous. It was fabulous. Yes, it was. It was, it was an utterly happy from start to finish. Um, the only thing I do remember particularly about it is the pressure we were under to finish filming on the last day because you weren't allowed to do overtime in those days and it was coming up to nine o'clock and we hadn't quite finished some of the scenes and I can remember the mad, mad panic to finish the scenes the in time. pulling the plugs. Yeah, they couldn't go into overtime, they couldn't mm. afford to do that and, uh, and I do remember this mad panic just as we were finishing off with our wobbly sets, of course. <laughs> Well, and a wobbly, and famously a wobbly, and still wet paint on the uh, the Merca, the uh, the infamous uh, sea monster played by the same directors that played Dobbin the pantomime horse in Rent a Ghost. <laughs> Another wonderful bit of information. I love the information you're coming out with. Fantastic, Joey. Yes, it was. Um, the the Merca is is infamous. I think we could safely say absolutely infamous. What's the Merca? The monster in oh. the four episodes that I did, and and I'm sure other people have commented on this, quite a smelly monster as well. Not the people inside it, I hasten to add. God forbid, I'm talking about the actual... Swat figure. Rubbery... Yeah. Latex. Latex, under, thank you. Latex the, under lights. That's right, yeah. the, the latex rubbery smell was, I remember, quite intense. Yes, it was, um, it was um, interesting, odour-wise, working on a scene with a murka, yes. Well, you were fortunate, Ray. You didn't get uh, you didn't get any pantomime sea dragons in in your story. And your no. director was was Paul Bernard. Do you remember no, the late him? Paul? Yes, he directed a lot of Honey Lane. That's how we knew he had quite a powerhouse. Paul, he was a very big, energetic man and uh, quite uh, quite an extrovert. Yeah, yeah. So I was quite pleased to be offered that. Yeah. And you got to point a gun at John Pertwee. Yeah, John Pertwee, and a shout at him and order him about and everything. But he was he was very pleasant. Yes, as I recall. They both were. And yeah. con considering the huge body of work that you've done, I feel a bit bad coming to your house and talking to you about Why? Doctor Who. So, no. I mean, does it surprise you, the amount, the, the fact that, it's, of, of all things, it seems to be that whatever any actor has done, if they've done a Doctor Who, mm. that's what people 
Yeah, grab them back. the few players at Windsor, and you, you leave the stage door, and they all turn up with their photographs. And they go, oh my, where do you get that? And it goes back years, and they, they, they're so passionate, and uh, they, these people. And they bring out photographs of stuff you did umpteen years ago, but a lot of Doctor Who stuff, just stills from Doctor Who. And it wouldn't necessarily have my picture on it, it would have uh, John Pertwee or Katie or even uh, Peter Davison or whoever. And they'd still want it signed by me. Yeah. And you said you've seen it recently. Do you think it's any good? I mean, can you see why people... Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's great, great charm, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think nowadays, it's so sort of uh, technical, isn't it? But then it was just, as you say, wobbly sets and, and uh, these people walking around in these great monster costumes, you know, which uh, was a, a bit dubious, but, um, yeah... And you mentioned you mentioned the, the the unions in the BBC, which of course the mm. BBC is now a very different beast. Yeah, it's sad, sad sign of the times when you look at that lovely building that they had in Wood Lane to walk past there, and to think in the old days you could just go in there and walk through. You know, there was a fellow on security who'd just give you a nod and you'd go through and park in there and everything. But now it's it's like uh, getting into the uh, CIA headquarters in America. <laughs> And so when, when did you two meet, uh, and how long have you been together? We met in, this is where the mind goes blank, it's dreadful, <laughs> 1991, wasn't it, sweetheart? 1991 we got before together. Before yeah. we met, well, I was doing an episode of Lovejoy up in Norwich, and I had a day off, and an ex-girlfriend of mine, Louise, was working with Tara uh, at Great Yarmouth. So she said, oh, we've got a day off, come and, come and have a drink with us. So I, I went over there and met Tara and Louise, and we had a nice lunchtime drink. And Tara and I were with um, <coughs> in relationships at the time. With and other people we listened to, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, fast forward to when we were not in relationships a few years later, and Louise said, oh, would you like to meet up? You know, you got on, seemed to get on quite well that day. Uh, am I right? You are absolutely <laughs> right. And she has actually match-made, I think, two other couples successfully as well. So she's still waiting for her commission for us, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Although I do remember when she tried initially in 91 to match-make us, because she said, you're living very near each other, you're both on your own now. And the first thing I actually said to her was, no, because I remember that Ray Lonnon smoked at the time, so I wouldn't go out with the smoker. And she said, actually, I think he's quit. And then I said, well, when can we arrange a meet? Ah. <laughs> so there we are. Cigarettes are responsible. The lack of cigarettes are responsible for putting us together, I think. So we went to a local Indian restaurant around the corner. And Tara and I sat next to each other. Louise and two friends sat opposite us like we were being interviewed. You know? Yes. And they were watch watching every little movement to see how we were getting on. Well, that's my fault, because when Louise said, why don't you go out for dinner? I said, oh, well, I, I don't want to do a blind date. And she said, well, I'll get a group of us together. And it hadn't occurred to me that actually having three people sitting opposite you at a meal was far more difficult and far more daunting than just Ray and myself sitting having a meal quietly on our own somewhere. You, you were being scrutinised. <laughs> it was. Literally, you could see them looking at every sort of movement and gesture yeah just wondering whether we were actually you know connecting or not but of course when you have three pairs of eyes on you it becomes you know very stressful one of whom was her that's right yes yes so um so yes all, all friends who were known us for a while so it was definitely one of those strange moments and uh, and then after that we eventually had dinner on our own together and uh, and very gradually a relationship started so that is now 20 
maths 20 no 22 years ago 91 is that yeah, 22 years ago yes 22 years ago um, yes it is yeah and i'm sure we didn't realize that either one of us had done doctor who for quite a while oh, either I, I was hoping that that was what clinched it <laughs> we've both been in doctor who we were made for each other <laughs> that's true and I, I don't know how long it took us to work out that we've both done a few episodes at very different times but it was yeah it was um yeah we didn't realize it for a while i'm afraid you were more glamorous costume than i didn't you well, if you could call that <coughs> zip-up suit glamorous, yes. Oh, you look pretty comely, as I thought. Oh, thank you, darling. I don't know that everybody else would agree with that, but I really appreciate the fact that you do. Yes, yes. Well, I'm glad Penn and changed them. That was not nice. That, uh, it was. That's, that touches me very much, actually, that, uh, yes, that both Ingrid nice and ladies, I yes. were good. And I think it was great that, that, that she was a woman as well, Preston. I think she was, she was a very spiky lady, and I love that fact, that um, she was gutsy. And it's an equal opportunity, Seabase, because um, whilst you wear eyeshadow, so do all of the men as well. Ever, but it seems that military service in the year 2084, you have to wear blue eyeshadow. <laughs> so true. And a lot of it as well. It wasn't subtle, was it? No. It was um, It was very, um, yes, distinctive, strong. Well, Richard strong. Harris could do it, I'm sure. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I thought the men looked extremely comely, actually, with their makeup on. Mm. So, mm. yes, I, I very much approve of that. Well, at least they didn't have to be, because we talked of the latex. My old mate Vincent Brimble is one of the three Silurians. That's who, right. Yes, we know him. The, the, the series. So, um, so yeah, you're you working with two sets of Doctor Who monsters. I know. It was amazing. And those, um, my understanding, Vincent would talk more on it, I'm sure, but my understanding is they were pretty darned uncomfortable to wear those actual... Latex mask things. It he was, was in the same episode, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes, well, he did all the episodes as well, yes, because it was the Silurians coming back to do battle. And it was those costumes. I was incredibly grateful at the time that I was wearing what I was wearing. I, I didn't take that for granted, you know, that I could actually breathe without yes. having a mask over me. I was one of the fortunate ones. And, and also, it was particularly hot on the set. So it was it was tough environment in which to work. It wasn't a cool set. Well, that's so. what they call a tea break. Do they have to dismantle all that? Later. Yeah, yeah. Just the, the the masks came off. The top bits of the masks came off. Had a straw or anything like that. No, but I could remember them taking them off, and I could remember their flushed faces and the relief with which they'd have sure, something sure. to drink. And he's a great actor, Vincent, as well. He I mean, that's, is. You know, I always feel sorry for him. I've worked with him loads of times, and he's a fine Shakespearean actor. And of course, I bet he gets at stage doors. People are like, well, you, ta- you were tarp off the right. of the yeah. team. I believe he does. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. So, you know, your, your fame lives after you once you've done a Doctor Who. It's actually a nice cast in, uh, of, of sort of recognisable character actors. You've got Tom Adams that's and right. Nigel Humphreys, and, and Ingrid Pitt was a legend, of course. Absolutely. Lovely lady. Mad as a hatter and a lovely lady. Yes, I. I as I said, we were very, very fortunate with the people that we had. One of the things I would also like to say, having done a number of Doctor Who conventions and signings, I have yet to meet any Doctor Who fan who is anything other than polite and courteous and appreciative. And I think that says a tremendous amount for people who follow and have a passion for something such as Doctor Who or whatever it may be, that I've just found them an absolute delight to be with, to talk with, to sign autographs for to have pictures taken with and I just I don't know if that's true of all fan bases but I've just found it particularly true of Doctor Who and I just I just really appreciate that so anybody who's listening to the to the um, to this who is a Doctor Who fan and who has come to the signings etc I'd just like to say thank you because I think you're an absolute delight
Oh, that's very kind, and that's nice to hear because uh, the media would just portray us all as slightly sad lunatics. <laughs> but that makes a much better story for them, doesn't it? That's why. It's, you know, if they say, oh, they're so polite and, and they're cute. Do you remember when we were doing the signing in, uh, it was in, in the shop in Essex? Um, Embarking. Tenth Planet. And there was really long queues. And their patience and their <coughs> their courteousness and I just oh sorry that's not a word is it courtesy courtesy, courtesy thank you their courtesy I just thought well you know how other how many other places would you find people queuing this patiently this politely um and always ready with a big smile by the time they got to you but of course that doesn't make a good story does it in the media I suppose they'd sure. much rather talk about people being you know mad or and willing to burn quite a lot for photographs that's true yeah. as well so you stand in <laughs> queue and it's and you have to pay for those photos to get them signed as well so, yeah, a, lo- a lot of appreciation for them. Well, and, and Ray, uh, you know, we, we, come, we come to you to talk about Doctor Who, but you, you know, when I, when I was growing up, you were, uh, you know, a name in our household because of, oh. I mean, wonderful stuff like Harry's Game, which has, uh, you know, made a huge impact, um, mm. and, and, um, and the Sandbaggers as well. So are those jobs that you look back on with affection? Yes, I do. I'm, I'm quite proud of uh, Harry's Game because it's always mentioned, people always bring it up. Not so much the sandbaggers, because it was sort of cult following, I think. Um, and there wasn't enough sort of going around shooting guns and stuff, not a lot of gung-ho stuff. It was all cerebral and sitting in offices and stuff. There was a lot of, uh, lot of interior stuff, I think. Oh, uh, sorry, can I just interrupt on that, yeah. though? Because I never saw um, episodes of sandbaggers at the time it first came out. And a little while ago, I watched one. There was an episode, actually, that was up on YouTube. I don't know how it made its way there. But I was working away in another country, sitting on my own, unable to sleep in the middle of the night. And I found it on YouTube. And I just thought, I'm going to sit and watch this in the middle of the night. I think it was in Hong Kong or somewhere. And I sat down and watched it. And I was amazed at how good it was. And I was amazed. It stands up pretty well, I think. They do stand up really well. But it's also, for me, what I loved is the subtlety of the performances. And I just thought there was... There was classy scripts. It was mm. it was terrific performances, and of course, it wasn't as fast paced or edited in the same short, sharp way that the, that the thrillers now are, are edited. But I thought it was a beautifully put together piece. So I'm sorry I interrupted you now, Don. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's and it's worth mentioning for for those listeners who may not have seen it. The Sandbaggers is available on DVD. It's an excellent series. I came to it just because people had recommended it to me online and written but by we, a genuine. Uh, Spy, I mean Ian McKenzie. They reckon his background was Ian, sort of uh, Macintosh. The Macintosh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yes, he, he was a very, but very um, insular fellow. And as much he, he, you couldn't get much out of him if you asked him. He said, "Well, I might." I said, "Did this happen?" Well, it might have. Were you an SIS? Well, I might have been. Yeah. And he would never. <laughs> he would never give anything away. He was a, a very, very private man. But it's come to light since that that he actually did work work in SIS. And we never changed the line of his script. It was all verbatim that we that we spoke. Um, in the main, I think, yeah. But uh, it was it was an interesting series. And when we lost him, we were in Malta shooting the last episode, and we had a, a little call to say, would we all convene in the grounds of the hotel at six p.m.? They got some news for us, and we thought we were going to be told that the electricians had pulled the plugs because there was a lot of uh, who are at the time about the union rules abroad. And they said, no, Ian McIntosh has gone missing in Alaska. He'd gone there on a recce for another few episodes with his friend in a, in a, in a twin-seater aircraft, which went down near Anchorage, I think, in the Bering Straits up there. 
and the coast guards got a fix on where he'd gone down and they were there within minutes and there was not a trace it was like the Glenn Mellow story all over again there was there was not a trace of anything to be seen so there's been a sort of mystery ever since as to what really happened there and so it was left on a cliffhanger as well with you yeah, getting yeah. shot that's right I got shot and then they had to they, they had to complete a few more episodes and they got some other writers in to do them which were very good but didn't quite have Ian's edge that he put on the series I think you know but it's been cult following ever since, as I say, and, and on campus in America, and we often see little bits about it. One New York critic said it was the best spy series ever. Yeah. And I think it stands up today. I've seen an episode quite recently, and as Tara says, she saw one in the, in the hotel. don't think you would have seen it had you not known that I was in it. Would You wouldn't have bothered, would you? Well, I wouldn't have known about it. That's the whole point, though, isn't it? You don't know about these things unless somebody points you towards them. Well, of course, Ray, Ray mentioned America, so I think, Tara, we should probably uh, uh, park ourselves in the Internet Movie Database and dispel one myth immediately, um, but because it says you're an American actress based in the UK. Now, we are in the UK, uh, but that's about as far as the truth of that goes. So tell us about your background and how you come to be here. Yes, I'm, I'm not US-born, um, although that's the trivia about me on IMDb. I am Canadian, born and bred. So uh, my parents are English. They emigrated out to Canada, and I was born born and raised there in Ottawa and then in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And my parents were in the business in England. So my mother has a, a long background. She was the first woman to win the uh, Leverhulme Scholarship to RADA, and, which I'm very proud of. And then she went on to work with um, lovely Ray Flynn in Is Your Honeymoon Really Necessary at the Duke of York's in the West End during the war when all the doodlebugs were were raining down. So my mother has a, a, a real history steeped in the theatre and in acting. And as a consequence of that, I was very much brought up in, in the acting profession. I can remember the, the wonderful smell backstage. There's such a distinctive smell, isn't there, backstage? Size. When you're, size, is that what it is? Mm. The size from the... Um, it's the fireproofing. The, from the flats. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just, I can remember that. It's, it's one of my earliest memories. So I was absolutely steeped in acting and steeped in the business from, from the, literally as long as I can remember. And then I did come to England when I was just 16. And I came here because I wanted to work in a country where there were so many acting opportunities. And at that time in Halifax, in Nova Scotia, I think there was only one professional theatre in all of the province at that point. So the, the difference between what was available for you in Canada and what was available for you in England was massive. And I've, I've remained ever since. I've, I've never wanted to go back to live, although I go back regularly to see family. But the joy of being here and the joy of still being surrounded by so much culture, I still find it exciting, even after all these years. <laughs> And did you find that, as you thought, did you find it fairly easy to get work? What were your early breaks? Um, no, actually, I didn't. I, I had this sort of, you know, rose-tinted spectacles. There's so <laughs> many theatres out there. There's so much going on. And I went to drama school for a year and then went straight into London and started auditioning. But I think it took me, it took me two years of auditioning before I ended up with my first theatre job, which was Weekly Rep up in Ayr in Scotland, um, which happened shortly before Weekly Rep became, you know, totally null and void in this country. So I was very fortunate I got to do that. And then a few years later, again, masses of auditions, and I got my first ever television role, um, which is great fun because I was beginning to despair that I would ever, ever get a role. And I was put up for this casting and the description of the casting was 
five foot ten inches of insatiable lust <laughs> which i just i love that as a definition so i thought about it before i went in for the casting and i had a very very distinctive red and white clingy striped dress and very high stilettos and at the time i decided that was the epitome of of insatiable lust it so, still is. <laughs> <laughs> so i i went in and i think i knew as soon as i walked through the door that i got the part yes and it was it was so exciting to do my first telly that was an amazing experience and it was lovely because it was with judy cornwall paul nicholas and jeffrey palmer so oh. what a, a lovely way a david cunliffe directing for ytv for yorkshire television so what a lovely way to to do your first telly and uh, and I did my best to be five foot ten inches of insatiable lust. So you know, you didn't have to try very hard. Oh, perfect thing to say. Thank you, darling. See, that's why you should always interview with the other half. Yeah, well, absolutely, absolutely. And um, have you ever been up for a part that requires insatiable lust, Ray? Couldn't think of it. No, no, not on such a grand scale as that. No, I, I'm not very good on the high heels. Yet, <laughs> But you did uh, you did Z cars of course, which is another yeah, another classic. Did Z cars yeah in color, nineteen seventy six, um, just as it was um, you know going down a little bit. It wasn't quite as good as the original black and white series, which was very prestigious and very uh, uh, well well accepted. But it was all it was all nice stuff to do. But uh, my original first telly was when I was at York Rep with John Alderton. He and I were playing. Um, I think called Watch It Sailor or Sailor Beware, one of those two two things. And I think a casting lady came up to see it, and she wrote to us and said, "When you're in London, come and come and see us." So uh, John went straight down the the M1, newly built M1, and got a part of uh, one of the regulars in uh, Emergency War Ten. And uh, I followed on a few months later, and they gave me six lines. Oh. <laughs> as, as a window cleaner with a with a cut wrist or something. <laughs> And it was it was live. I think one episode was live. I think, yeah, because they did two a week. One was live and one was recorded, and that was pretty scary stuff. I always I always used to feel great respect for um, Clive Francis's father, who's Raymond Francis, who did a series called No Hiding Place, and they were all live. Do you know those? Yeah, well, they used yeah. to turn off the sound if you dried, if if the actor just uh, yeah. forgot what he was saying. They turn the sound off, and. Raymond Francis would take a pinch of snuff while his line was fed to him from on set with the sound down. And once once they'd given him the line, he was back on cue, the sound would come back on again. You imagine all these all these viewers at home going, What the hell's wrong with him? <laughs> but it's apparently true. Lots of dramatic pauses, but yeah. with, with snuff. Yes, yeah. 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 Well, that's a useful prop, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So take it down to this little desk. Yeah. And get the life but Tara outside of acting Tara you were saying you've, you've had books published yes it was a sideline that I never really um, intended to happen it was a few years after doing Doctor Who and I was working in the West End doing The Importance of Being Earnest but it was a very interesting version of the importance being honest because it was with hinge and bracket i don't know oh, if yes. you know who i'm yes. yes so um they were they were playing the two leads of, of prism and Bra bracknell so it was very interesting job i loved doing it i was playing gwendolyn in it and one of the people in it at the time um said i think you should come along to this psychic development class and i thought that's different so to cut a long story short i did 
And then I started teaching psychic development. And then a few years after that, I was asked to write some books. So I have now published, oh, is it six or seven books? I can't remember on a range of subjects from psychic development, meditation, dream work, healing, telepathy. And I have just in the last six months completed two further books, which are coming out in August. One called Discover Your Inner Psychic and one called Discover Meditation and Mindfulness. But these are beautiful. My previous books were very much thick, factual books. And these are very beautiful, full-colour coffee books, which will be um, available from, from August on Amazon. So. Well, I think if you lose count of the amount of books you've written, you've, you're doing pretty well on the old book writing front. <laughs> she, has sold, she has sold globally over a quarter of a million books. You see, that's where it's lovely having your husband with you because he'll praise you in a way that you're too shy to do. Yes, it's true. I didn't realise actually until I was doing some some research into something else and trying to understand book sales and what it meant. I I didn't realise that's a lot of copies for a factual book. Mm. I I, I appreciate now that it is. Actually, I think we're over 300,000 now. Over 300,000? Yeah. So so no, I I am very proud of that and it has gone worldwide. And I mean, the thing that pleases me more than anything else is just the thought that some of what I've written and imparted might help other people whether it's to help them to to relax or to meditate or to understand their dreams better or whatever it might be I just like the thought of hopefully other people getting some help that's what um that's what drives me to write more that's great and of course you know it's it's the nature of the business isn't it of acting is that you do have to have your feet in other camps Mm. absolutely although in fact Ray is one of the few actors I have to say I know who has managed to earn his living through his life from acting and I don't think there's many people that can say that but Ray has managed to do that I've segued into writing and I've segued into um, management training and role playing coaching Mm. work and have and and have really enjoyed the work that I've done as a result of that. But Ray is one of the few actors who's managed to survive as an actor, so I think he should be very proud of that. With the exception of very early days when I pushed pens and pulled pints for a couple of weeks at a time, yeah, uh, and clean houses and was a rag and bone man and all that, you know, did all that. But you've had you've had hefty stints on television. So mm. what, what what have mm. been the most enjoyable jobs for you? Then? I suppose Harry's game is the most. Pres- prestigious one I think and uh, I think I'm pretty proud of that because as I say it's mentioned so much and people always remember it Would you, Did you have to audition for that or was that a part Well I've done the Sandbaggers and uh, Keith Richardson who was one of the floor managers on Sandbaggers became a producer and so um, I'd been in New Zealand and when I got back from New Zealand he asked me to go and see him and I went to his office and he said uh, what's, your, what's your Ulster accent like so I gave him a little quick burst of that so he said start Monday more or less Fantastic. Yeah. So uh, I was in by that, yeah. And um, sent me the script of that. And even though, um, if you look at that, I don't get much... Uh, I'm, I'm not featured a great deal. The, the character of Harry Brown is in not many frames of the whole thing. But he's talked about, and it's about him all the time. So uh, that, that was a good thing. But uh, looking at it, I'm not, there are big, big patches where I don't appear for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, that's not bad, is it, though, to be in the main focus but not have to do too <laughs> many days' work? Yeah. <laughs> Although I do enjoy it. I, I don't like to. When I went to Hong Kong with Yellow Thread Street, I had days and days off. You know, so I was, I was playing the desk sergeant, and that was all about the youngsters being out in the shoots, with, out in the streets with, uh, with guns and, and stuff like that. And they used to come back from looking and talk about what had happened. And they said, oh, are you still here? Because I, I, I walked in the bar having had three or four days off and they, they'd forgotten all about me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> forgotten that I was there. So I had a lot of time to kill on that, yeah. 
but so I'd actually do prefer working each day if, if I can. Yeah. Which you must have had to do when you did, because you did the new crossroads, didn't you? Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Was that was that a pretty pretty tight well, schedule? Oh yes, because you, you you do seven scenes during the day and go go back to the hotel and think, oh, I can have a nice nice glass of wine and a nice dinner and relax. But then you'd get seven more scenes shoved under your door and under your hotel door and you'd learn for the morning, very early calls. So it's, yeah, I'm sure they do it on all the soaps now, don't they? Coronation Street and EastEnders, they must have exactly the same problem. But uh, it was yeah, it's it's quite a punishing schedule. Yeah. People don't realise, I don't think, the public don't realise how much hard work is involved in those things. Everybody, the standard is is very very good, I think, of, of soaps today. The standard of acting and direction and photography is so good. But people don't realise how much hard work goes into those. I think they do get taken for granted. I think. And, and what about your your TV highlights, Tara? What have been the, 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 the most enjoyable jobs for you? I've done a, a number of... I never, was, like Ray, was fortunate enough to get into a series because I think that's when your fortunes tend to change as a performer. Just getting into a series and being remembered for a series helps enormously. So I've done one-off episodes of lots of things, um, going back quite a few years ago to things like, oh, I don't even know if you remember it, called Never the Twain, mm. which was a wonderful comedy series. And Windsor I, Davis and uh, Donald Sinden, who I absolutely love. Um, so yeah, those were those were great things to do. I remember loving um, doing a guest lead in again a long time ago, District Nurse, which was a, a lovely. Nurse Hughes. That's right, indeed. And um, I played a, a love interest in it, and I went for the casting, and they asked that offhand question of, "Can you ride horse ride?" I said, "Yes, yes, fine." Um, remembering when my sister had a horse when I was a child and I once got on the horse's back, you know. I said, yes, be fine, be fine. Um, and, of course, I got the role and then discovered that I had to gallop up a steep Welsh hillside um, in the pouring rain as it transpired and then fall off and break my ankle, which is how my character then meets and falls in love with the doctor. Um, so I had to have a few very sudden riding lessons mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> But I did it, and I did. I wasn't allowed to fall off the stunt horse for obvious reasons, but I did do all the galloping sequences, and I did actually manage to get myself together enough to be able to... As a novice, you were galloping. Yes. I mean, I had been... I'm joking slightly. I had been on a horse a few times previously. But, of course, galloping up a hillside is a very different situation. So I did have intensive riding lessons in the few weeks leading up to the filming. That's the thing about auditions. We don't lie, we act. That's well, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yes. Or we stretch the truth yes. is another way I like to you put it. Give a dramatic it. interpretation on the facts. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um, well, I've, I've, I've uh, overstretched my allotted uh, time. Because I, I always do. I'm so sorry. I always say, it'll only take half an hour, I promise. Uh, but I haven't asked you about Peter Davison, your doctor. Yes. Great fun. Enormous fun. What I remember most from our lovely rehearsals and our shooting days is Peter making me laugh. He had a tremendous, probably still has a tremendous sense of humour. And I can remember the sense of fun that that engendered on the set. So very professional. We'd be joking and joking and then we'd be rolling and he'd instantly be in character and instantly ready to go. Always knew his lines, always focused. But I just remember so much of the pleasure of it. And Pennant Roberts has, had a very dry sense of humour. So I can remember the two of them sparring with each other and me just standing in the midst of it thinking, this is such fun. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so appreciative of being here.
And do you have any other memories of Frontier in Space Ray of your time? No, as I say, it's all pretty hazy, really. No, I just enjoyed my time on it, and they were so courteous and pleasant and polite. But I don't remember any funny incidents, I'm sorry to say. Nothing um, untoward, no, it was all perfectly straight to straight, as I recall, yes. Sorry, sorry not to have an error. No, that's all right. It's a, it, was, it was on before I was born. So I, 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 that's I, astonishing. I, I, I don't remember anything about it either. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, well, we've we've convened uh, on, on this the fiftieth uh, anniversary of uh, D- Doctor Who. So I just ask you. Oh, do you want to get? That's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so I, I just ask you to uh, because uh, the listeners have downloaded this podcast for free. We ask them to donate to charity, and because there's two of you, you're going to nominate two. Yes, indeed. Um, I'd love people to donate to the PDSA, the Pets Dispensary for Sick Animals. Please, I think a wonderful charity, and we're both very passionate animal lovers. And I will nominate Cancer Research. Excellent. And on uh, this 50th anniversary, the final question is an awful question, but I did it on the first one and I have to be uniform, is what's your message to Doctor Who fans on the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who? Thank you for your support so much and here's to the next 50 years. Yes, I would, I would endorse that, I think, yes. And, and um, I admire your enthusiasm. I'm not a great um, sci-fi fan myself, but I just... I think it's wonderful for people who, who can be and take so much pleasure in it. Yes. So good luck and carry on. Well, Ray Lennon and Tara Ward, thank you very much for your time and for your hospitality. Well, thank you so much. Ray and Tara's charities, www.cancerresearchuk.org is the Cancer Research website, Cancer Research UK all one word, dot org. And the animal charity PDSA is, predictably, www.pdsa.org.uk. Please keep supporting this. Please keep spreading the word. Thanks for listening. Bye. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Daleks Among Us. I know you know about what happened here 20 years ago. The invasion, yes. My friend the doctor was there. After the war, neighbour turned on neighbour, ethnic group turned on ethnic group. There was terrible, bloody violence. When the Daleks invaded, they made people work for them. Yes, as slaves. Not just as slaves, as collaborators and informants, willing to do whatever they had to just to survive. Willing to murder and worse. You have tortured me. You have performed surgery on my brain. Six months later, and still, you have failed. You will surrender the schematics! No! <laughs> this has to stop this mindless slaughter! It is what I exist for. Father is not quite uh, normal. What do you mean? There were things the Daleks did to him in their torture camps. Things that changed him. There are voices. Can't you hear them? They are among us. There are Daleks among us. <laughs> Father, there you are. Oh. This is Will Arrowsmith. It's a pleasure to meet you, sir. Do you never get tired of working in the dark? I do my best work in the dark. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.